Hey everyone, today I'm joined by Joan Lee, a technical recruiter at LinkedIn. Joan Lee grew up in China, but came to America to study geography. We're going to dig in to find out more about that choice and how she was able to work her way through a variety of jobs to land at LinkedIn. In addition to her journey into tech, I'm also going to ask Joan Lee about working with recruiters, curating your LinkedIn profile, and how to stand out during the job hunt. Welcome to the Exponential Growth Podcast, where we demystify what it takes to break into tech. I'm your host, James Hudnell, and my goal is to highlight real-life examples of people moving into careers they love, so you can too. Joan Lee, welcome to the show. Hi, hi. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. Why don't we start with the end in mind? What exactly is a technical recruiter at LinkedIn? Yeah, yeah. So for LinkedIn... So I belong to the global talent organization. So we have engineering recruiting, business recruiting, and other types of recruiting. I hire like site reliability engineers for LinkedIn. So the, uh, the site reliability is like putting out fires. Mm. So I'm kind of like the front end recruiter. I would uh, reach out to candidates through the LinkedIn recruiter. Then I will talk to them and check their qualifications. And then if they qualify, then I'm going to put them in pipeline, help them interview. And um, that's for the candidate side. And we also have a lot of internal meetings with uh, stakeholders, like uh, managers and hiring managers. And we also have like the internal training and other projects going on to improve the process and uh, all other stuff, like t different tools. Yeah. So it's not like only um, talking with candidates. Um, it's maybe like 30% um, of the job. No, that's amazing. This is the first time we've brought a recruiter onto the show. And I think most of the audience are the prospective students that want to one day talk to someone like you, John Lee. So this is awesome to get your perspective. So that's where you're at now. When you were a child, is this something you thought you wanted to do? No, I never thought about it. I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know there's a job like that. <laughs> yeah. So what was it like growing up? I grew up in a very uh, large community. Like my parents, I think, worked for a cotton company um, before I was four years old. So I have like probably hundreds of kids around me. Okay. And <laughs> I was like the oldest kid in my big family because my father had me when he was very young. So all like the family and friends, I'm the only child. Okay. So like, everybody like spoiled me. And when I have a lot of snacks and all that and gifts, I just go to the plaza and give to everybody else. And when I'm running out, I don't have any. I don't really care because I'm not going to have more. Nice. So yeah, the culture is very community supportive and very, very generous. Okay. And where did you grow up? I grew up in Chongqing, China. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. So I'm not familiar with the, I guess I'm not familiar with very much of China, but I'm curious throughout school, did you have opportunities to kind of explore different interests? Not very much back in those days, but uh, we do have a lot of outdoor uh, activities. I was thinking to be a writer and then I want to, uh, I think I want to be maybe like a oscillating player at Olympics games, mm, nice. <laughs> which I'm not that kind of a body type. It's just like dreamy and not practical, you know, all over the place. Yeah. yeah. What, what kind of sport would you have been the Olympian in if you could pick? I cannot do any. <laughs> but if you could? Ping pong. <laughs> ping pong. Everybody playing ping pong in China. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I played recreationally a little bit and that's a, yeah, that's a fun game. Low stakes. You don't have to be in great shape to be okay at it, I guess. Yeah. So yeah, fun game. So again, I, I guess I'm trying to, in my mind, map your possible progression to how I would look at it in America. 
So if when you were in the equivalency of high school over there, what was, yeah, I guess I would ask what was your plan? Because I know when I was in high school, Joan Lee, I was playing video games, didn't have much plans about the future, knew I was going to go to college, but didn't have much drive, motivation, or intention therein. So what was your mind like, like right there during that transition period? High school in China is super frustrated is <laughs> you don't have your own time you cannot play video games like that because you don't have your own time like i start boarding school like uh, early age like 13 years old so that's kind of like the first time i receive rejections in my life because like everybody around me is so nice to me right i yeah. i was in boarding school and my roommate they don't compromise so and i had the six roommates and there was no hot water and no ac and no heat Mm. In, the, in the winter so I feel like it's like a military you know so my my goals in high school is to get out of high school and go to college okay. pretty soon and my mother told me oh when you go to college you have all the freedom so you can do whatever you want and I think that's like America and China kind of like opposite like because be, for us like before college which is like uh, become a dad 18 years old right you're just the parents and the school and the society give you so much pressure. They want you to go to score and score just means everything. And <laughs> yeah. it's very depressing. And in America, like you play all the way into college and you study in college. Like, so like when we go to college, we don't really know what we want. We just want to get out of the high school. Yeah. And we don't even have a PE class in, mm. in high school. Like we used to have like one or two, like 45 minutes. And then the other teachers, like those important subjects, like physics and math, the teachers, they just took over that. So we don't have any, there very much exercise. Yeah. <laughs> and we study like 12 hours a day. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And then, so I think I see you went to West Virginia University. Did you always plan on coming to America to go to college? Yeah. In the beginning, I, I wanted to go to UK because uh, those good schools like Oxford and Cambridge and Oh, when I was a teenager, when I was junior high, and when I go to college, I recognize, oh, those schools are very hard to get into, and UK is still kind of, like, small, you know, and there's not that many job opportunities, then I decided to come to America. So I applied to all, like, the East Coast and West Coast, those state universities, and when I was looking at the map, <laughs> I saw, oh, West Virginia is close to the ocean. <laughs> But like, it's really like a shame because uh, I studied geography and I thought West Virginia is close to the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit of a ways over there to, to really get to the yeah. ocean though, isn't it? Yeah. So they gave me some scholarship. That's how I end up there. And people just wonder, oh, why you go there? Because the coal mining is not popular anymore. Yeah. And if people from West Virginia, they wouldn't understand that. They, they don't they don't get it why you would go there. Yeah. yeah. So I see you studied geographic information science. And so that was your master's and backing up a little bit. It looks like you went, maybe you got your undergrad back where you lived. Is that right? Actually, I got a Bachelor of Science in Geography uh, as an undergraduate. That's like more like a teaching, like a, to be a high school geography teacher. But I hate mm -hmm. high schools and I don't want to go back there anymore. Um, but when I uh, applying for the um, master. I don't know what to study. So I just keep studying, just more, learn more technology about it because I, I didn't know what I want to study yet. Okay. Yeah, no, my, my mindset was exactly the same as you kind of because when I went, I went to college and I initially picked engineering just because it was, oh, that's hard. And look, they accepted me. I can, of course I can do it. And yeah, that didn't turn out great. I ended up changing to English because it was a lot easier to kind of drift uh, as an English major, as opposed to an engineering major. And long story short, I guess it worked out in the end. We're both talking, we both work at LinkedIn, but it definitely wasn't much 
intentionality on my part. So back to you. So you're still kind of continuing on this path, I guess, due mostly to inertia because you were already on it. So you graduate from West Virginia University. What's the plan then? Are you trying to get an internship maybe before you graduate in geography or how does that play out? No, I had no idea at all. I had no plans when I graduated. I didn't apply for any jobs. I'm just like so far behind of everybody else. I don't even write my resume. (laughs) So like after, like I was playing, I was traveling for two months after graduation and then I got my OPT, you know, so I can work. I had no idea at, at, at all, like what's going on. But during that time, I went to a lot of like impersonate working events in New York. So when I go to New York, I don't know anybody. Like I drive all my car from West Virginia to New York. And when yeah. I arrive my head in, it's already like 11 p.m. And it's raining. It was raining like pouring. So and the people behind me are honking me. Like I was so panicking. Like <laughs> it's honking me. What should I do? <laughs> There's no right. way to get out. And I lost my phone. Oh, on the highway station in Philadelphia. So I, I didn't have a phone. I just, that's the first night I arrived in New York. It was terrible. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then, you know, because I went to those, all, all those networking events. So I just meet some startups like uh, CEOs and exchange information later on, you know, talking office. And that's how basically I, I get hired at my, as my first job is through those in-person networking. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. And I'd, I'd love to hear more about that. Like, so you, but let me back up. So you, you go from West Virginia, you drive all night, sounds like, to New York. You lost your phone in Philadelphia. I'd be totally lost driving without my phone, Joan Lee. So I don't know how you made it to New York, but anyway, you did. Yes. In the car. Okay. Yeah. So it sounds like you're just, at this point, you're just kind of exploring. You said talking to, to CEOs and business leaders, just trying to maybe make connections and to feel out what you might want to do. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I, I had an internship actually before that. Uh, I found that job on newspaper. <laughs> oh, wow. Because the newspaper people, I kind of like, I would say they're kind of serious because if you just put jobs on, post jobs online, it's free, right? But they have to spend out actually $200 to hmm. to post on the newspaper. So I just read newspaper and I call and I get that job. It's like sending ads uh, on a Chinese Craigslist website. It's very famous actually in China called 58.com. Okay. Uh, so you can actually find that website anyway. Okay. The 580 is the number. So I was doing door-to-door sales. They are sending this banner ads <laughs> on that Craigslist. Okay. I did that for two months. And during that time, I met that future boss. And it's like a sales job. Like um, recruiter is like a sales job too. You are sending the company and you are sending the position. It's not that much different, you know. Uh, and, and you don't even need like any skills or degree. I experienced to be like a recruiter because you see them from all kinds of background, engineering, like psychology, yeah. social work, um, you know, all like physics, all, all, all type of major. Yeah. So you worked there, it looks like for maybe three months or thereabouts. Yeah, it's an internship. Then I went to that first job, like uh, it actually matches my major because I have to do that. Because, you know, the OPT and full H1B visa, you need to do something that's related to your major. Okay. So I... At that job, the boss gave me the opportunity. He he even paid like the Udemy courses to let me learn coding. So I learned some coding there. But the later on I recognized I cannot really compete against like those hackers who are really talented. It's not like that I'm stupid. It's not like my mind is not there. Okay. You don't enjoy it, maybe. Yeah, I don't enjoy it. it 
yeah, when I say those bags, I can I cannot fix for a few days. I'm just really panicking. <laughs> okay, no, fair enough. But so, yeah. if, am I reading your timeline correctly? It looks like you were actually in a developer type role for almost three years. Is that right? Yeah, for like I would say one or two years. I was just like developing some features that will uh, integrate into the um, into the big app. So it's like a microservice. Okay. Yeah. No, that's that's that sounds so fun. And backing up just a little bit, we love talking about interviewing. Do you remember anything about the interview process going into that job? That interview process was quick because it's a startup. Uh, I only have actually uh, two interviews. One is just with other engineers, and they don't know anything about my major, so I can basically say anything. <laughs> 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 and another one is just with the boss. It's more like a behavioral question. Uh, like, when are you ready to work? Okay. It's not the formal, like, I think, yeah. interview process. And I also, like, at the same time, I apply for other jobs. Like, maybe I apply for 400. I got, like, one or two. But it's really far away from the New York City. Like, Rochester. Like, yeah. I wanted to stay in New York City at that time because, like, I was in with Virginia for two years and. I really miss the Chinese food. I think the reason I go to New York is because I miss the Chinese food. And now that's not the reason for me to move anywhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so just for contrast, now you live over in the Bay Area, just for the listeners, right? Yes. I live in the Bay Area. I, I live in five different states in the past nine years and I moved over 10 times. Wow. So moving so many times I yeah. really makes me become a minimalist and yeah. uh, I I know what I want every time I move yeah. so I know what exactly what I want I, you know, under my budget and all their stuff together yeah yeah no that's amazing and so then after that first job that we talked about what happened next because it looks like you eventually broke into being a quote-unquote technical recruiter so what was that like yeah, like actually during that job, like, because uh, I kind of lead like small projects. So the boss asked me to hire more engineers. That's how I kind of get into recruiting. Like I said earlier, it's like sales, right? I started to do sales at a very early age, like nine years old. So my grandmother will give me like a big basket of uh, vegetables and I would just sit on the farmer's market. Hmm. So I make pretty good money. <laughs> yeah. The money I make that one morning is enough to pay the snacks for myself and my classmates for the whole month. Nice. So I'm very happy for that. And uh, in college, I did all kinds of different stuff. Like I used to sell t-shirt. I would go to the like a wholesale market, buy a bunch and sell like uh, my dormitory. Mm -hmm. So I have something hung up and people just come. I did all kinds of stuff. Like, And I also uh, sell refrigerators. You sold refrigerators. Do you want to talk more about that? I I've never heard that before. How did that work? Yeah, so you know, during holidays they have the sales, right? Like Black Black Friday sale, and you know they have Labor Day sale, or like so during those times, those stores they need the part time uh, sales. So I just I just go to a store and ask the manager, "Oh, do you need people?" That's how I got that job. <laughs> it's very straightforward. Okay. I just I'm just like getting my bubble tea, and they say, "Hey, let's go to the store to see if they have part time jobs." Okay. And so and I know a little bit of refrigerator and I also know a little bit about the kitchen cabinets because I used <laughs> to design the kitchen and the cabinets like for three months. Yeah. And wow. I was, yeah. <laughs> so it's, it sounds like you're picking up all these, I would say still useful skills, even though they seem kind of dispersed and intermittent, you know, you're kind of building your, your personal skill set, including sales, which is amazing. And then so I guess it sounds like that lended itself to you transitioning into the role of the technical recruiter. It was kind of just like a natural progression once you had that opportunity. It's very natural and easy. I don't feel like I have to make extra like effort to be like a recruiter. It's 
you know, there's something different, but like most need the same. And because of transferable skills, you can actually do a lot of ROS. Uh, in terms of take that, a company I used to work for in New York was a dispatch company, like car dispatch. So I think it's more about like star retaining um, and always talk with your engineers like um, about technology. So when you interview other company, you have more sense to see. Yeah. Like I just feel like tech is not that, it's not a mystery. Yeah. It's just like any other industry, you just need to tell your story and you need to pay attention to everything. Like let's say the market trends and what else, like like some kind of like data, you need to be aware it's not hard yeah, <laughs> because no. you look at my degree as a geography, right. master of arts in geography. And from like West Virginia, nobody knows the school and major and you can still break into big take. And even now, you know, the take are hiring people from uh, different kind of backgrounds. I do want to hire people for skills, not for the degree. Yeah. No, that's right, because they don't necessarily have all those transferable skills and the other experience that you mentioned. And to that point, the vast majority of people I talk with, I think they underappreciate the amount of transferable skills that they've accrued over their lifetimes. And it's, I guess it's easy to be self-critical and think, oh, I don't have any skills that translate into being a developer or a technical recruiter. But to your point, it, it goes back to storytelling and you have to learn how to craft that story about yourself through the lens of the position that you want. Yeah. And also you need to have some like faith i wouldn't say confidence you need to have some faith in yourself because yeah. you survived so far <laughs> yeah that's right you live longer than people who are younger than you and you you learn how to talk you learn how to walk then learning a new skill is no different than this yeah so it looks like your first role as a technical recruiter was with that same company so for that was there an interview process for that transition or was it because you were already in the company it was like oh okay john lee can transition over here yeah, it's so like really small startup, so there's no interview for me. Okay. Um, but I will interview the candidates who come in, like as an engineer. Okay. And then, yeah, I will like look for them and uh, fund them, and then schedule interview with other hiring managers and negotiate salary, all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. That's an extremely interesting topic, I think, for the audience. So, is there anything that you would like to speak to regarding that from the vantage point where? you're on the other end of that table perhaps, or maybe just the conduit between the candidate and the job that they want. Any general advice aside from learning how to tell their story, anything that might help people trying to A, get interviews, and then when they're in the interview, how to be themselves and perform? The main thing that to get interview is uh, is your LinkedIn profile and your resume. And your LinkedIn profile is more important than your resume because your resume has, has all kind of different formats. You squeeze everything to one page. It's not friendly for the eyes for the hiring manager and recruiter yeah. to read it. But when you then when they go through LinkedIn profile, they have the same format, so it's gonna be easier to read. Then you really have to make your resume like has a lot of white space. You don't have to think about like to have to limit it into one page. Like my resume is three page and I, hmm. I think people have 25 page like resume and that's very rare they got wow. higher. So w whatever you use, if your resume cannot get you interviews, then your resume is not qualified. Not like yeah. you are not qualified, your resume is not good enough. That's, that's yeah. one thing to get interview. And during that interview, I have a few points to talk about. Sure. You want to make sure you will go extra mile compared to the regular candidates. So I do that by sharing a story, uh, how I go extra mile. 
so I said I'm team worker and this is what I do for the team. I have uh, like let's say new team member driving all the way from Texas to New York with his cat. You know, when you have a pet, it's going to be harder to find an apartment or housing, right? Yeah. Because <laughs> the landlord, even though you pay extra for, for the pet, they don't want that. Yeah. So what I did is we found a newspaper and we go all the yellow pages. And, you know, New York has a lot of different kind of yellow pages. Like, uh, we check like 200 listings, like within that one afternoon and we make calls. Like, then within the same day, uh, we were able to find the housing for him. And then I loan him the deposit on that day. So we got that okay. listing. That's nice. Hmm. Okay, this is uh, going a little bit far. So basically in the stories, you're going an extra mile, right? Mm -hmm. Because you are very technical. And when you speak a recruiter, they are not very technical. So you try to, you just try to talk less with the specific things like technical things that will make them sleep. Yeah, no, that's very good advice. You want to be concise because they might be talking with 10 different candidates on the same day. So when you talk too much, they get lost as well. So you are you are like nervous and they are nervous too because they don't know you. Yeah. So like, let's say for the self-introduction, um, which is the most important pa part, will you make sure you just talk no more than 30, uh, no, no more than two minutes, right? And if it's for yeah. other simple questions, you know, just keep under like 30 seconds or one minute. Just don't over talk. And okay. before you, they even like, talk with you and they just get on the phone call and ask how are you and you can say something like oh do you need a water break that will totally mm -hmm. like make you stand out because it's, they're always in meetings and they're delayed running around so they don't have time to to take a water break and like basically you you don't have to talk a lot you want to give them a good impression the conversation doesn't have to be yeah. super long because this is this is just the first like recruiter phone screen there are going to be more important rounds like talking with the hiring manager and talk and technical modules coming up so <laughs> you don't want to like talk too much and use too much of their time yeah it seems like that that's a great tip that I'm I'm going to use that not that I'm ever going to look for another job but that's amazing something as simple as asking the recruiter if they need a minute for a water break or anything like that it's so easy to do and yeah that first impression is so critical so I I really appreciate that what are your stances on let's say I think I made a LinkedIn post about this I didn't ask you for your opinion I probably should have so feel free to correct me but I basically recommended people when they apply to say a job through LinkedIn Easy Apply, let's pretend that if I was applying to LinkedIn as a, uh, I guess as a SRE, because that's the group that maybe you help. What do you think about people that apply to that job and then they maybe find you on LinkedIn, they're not a connection, and they send you a follow-up message, very short to just say, hey, John Lee, I saw that you're a technical recruiter at LinkedIn. I was really excited because I just applied to this job and I just had to share it with somebody. I wanted to reach out to you and let you know that, you know, I'd really enjoy the chance to work here and something like that, not a direct ask for you, but just letting you know that they exist. Do you have a preference on that, whether that helps them or hurts them? That definitely like help, especially like when they send me uh, a job link or uh, they applied because some people just say oh can you look at the resume and get a position for me like <laughs> which position you want right because there's no recruiter existing in the world that can hire all the position for all the companies in any country that doesn't yeah. work so each recruiter yeah. is like even the headhunters right they they will be just hiring for specific positions in a specific industry because when they yeah. go niche down that's how um 
they get their expertise and they they make money. So nobody can, no recruiters yeah. can hire all the positions. So you just make sure that you are reaching out to the to the right recruiters and with the right message because. Like I look at the your resume, you want to be like software engineer and a data scientist. That wouldn't work because those are totally yeah, different definitely. like skill sets. And you also need to know the market, right? Yep. You you just simply type like let's say software engineers or backend engineers in recruiter and then choose United States. Say how many jobs exist there. You see how many jobs existing there and how many people are go for it. Like this is the data scientist for me is like kind of like a bubble because they're very limited positions in the company yeah. for that. And all people from all backgrounds like physics, statistics, like even psychology, they want to get that position. It's just way too competitive. But if you just choose something yeah. else like a career developer, um, a quality control developer, right? And SQL, you know, uh, even UI UX design. It's yeah. much easier to break into take. You don't want to like go to choose like a niche that has too many people, it's too much competition, with very limited job openings. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a that's a great perspective too. And just because we've never talked about, and I've never talked to a recruiter about that relationship, you know, I can see the relationship with maybe you know, applying to the job and things that you could do, but it's really interesting to hear your perspective as a recruiter for simple low hanging fruit that candidates can do to increase their, not just their chances at that job, but to establish that relationship with you. Or even if you don't have something for them now, maybe in the future, you may have something and that'd be mutually beneficial. Yeah. Yeah. And also like last time I post something like 3000 people reach out to me on LinkedIn. There's no way that I can respond the message. So if, if they don't yeah. respond to you, like you don't blame them. Oh, why you are not responding to me? Like how can I respond to 3000 yeah. people? Right. Yeah. That's good I have my own work to do. So the best way is to um you you comment on their post. If they are posting regularly, then you're lucky. If that post that adds a lot of value. And also you can also connect with hiring managers because they have uh, if you look at the picture, they may have the the banner that I'm hiring. So you will know they're hiring, and then you can click that and you know which positions they are hiring. So you want to directly connect with the right recruiter and and especially hiring managers. When hiring managers refer yeah. you to the recruiter, then that adds so much power. It's like you are almost halfway in the door. You just need to go through all the interviews. Okay. So getting the order of operations correctly, we establish the relationship with the hiring manager. And ideally that leads to a conversation with the recruiter. And that conversation leads to the interview with the technical and the behavioral. So yeah. Okay. yeah, And it also can be colleagues. Like let's say you have some friends, you know, their team is hiring and you still say it is mm. a fake. Uh, because if the recruiters are not hiring a position, especially internal recruiters, there's not that much they can do for you. I was trying to get, yeah. like, let's say the data scientist interview for other people, but they already have like 2000 applicants in the pipeline. So, and I don't know yeah. other, those other recruiters like personally very well. So they would just ignore my message. Yeah, no, that's, that's good tips on both sides. So let's back to your story, if we can. So you're, you're still in that company, you've moved from software engineer to the technical recruiter. I think I see that you moved on to Agora after that. So can you talk about that, that transition? Yeah, no, uh, Agora is, um, it's a, it's a good company They have good technology. Um, they actually is, um, provide the backend services like API and SDK for Clubhouse. And for other, like a lot of big tech companies like Facebook and Google. So I actually got that job through LinkedIn by the recruiter because um, the recruiter posted his 
information there I'm hiring. So I, I just connected with him on LinkedIn and our first first chart, I got his WeChat. So <laughs> you try to get the recruiter's information besides just on LinkedIn because their LinkedIn is bombarded with message like emails, yeah. WeChat or Facebook, whatever. Then I follow up for him for one month and get that job. And um, I actually we not only talk about jobs, you don't want to just talk about jobs like that's boring, you know. We talk about football, yeah. talk about food, you know, holidays. And sure. you can even send them like a recipe. So how to make your hometown like tasty food, you know, send them a recipe or YouTube video. Yeah, personal touch. Yeah, it's, uh, it's very personal. Basically, recruiters or hiring manager on LinkedIn are no different than people around you. So you're just trying to make friends with them. And, you know, if they sure. don't have a position for you now, that's fine. They will know somebody or introduce you to somebody because you never know where... Your next opportunity will come from. Yeah, no, that's great. So many, uh, I'm learning so many tips for establishing genuine connections with people. So I, I'm learning a ton. I know the audience is as well. We really appreciate it. Okay, so you establish this relationship on LinkedIn. You talk to them on WeChat. And then what, do you have an interview process after that? before you joined Agora? Oh, I had an interview like uh, already. So I'm just following up and they say okay. I was hiring by actually China team and then the American team say, hey, if you don't want to join, we want to join. <laughs> oh, nice. Good to be <laughs> yeah. wanted, right? Yeah. Okay. And then, so how was that role? Because I see you were in it for almost for two years. Yeah, that, that role is good. Then I moved to, I moved to LinkedIn. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I actually got laid off by that role because of the economy. <laughs> Okay. So you were laid off before LinkedIn. Is that right? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Okay. So how was that period? Were you kind of regrouping, kind of figuring out how to get back into the recruiting? Were you doing anything else around that time? Well, I was already interviewing at that uh, latest stage because they notified me, right? Oh, nice. That was very good planning in hindsight on your part. So that's amazing. Is there anything there on the during the interview process just in case there are any aspiring technical recruiters that want to one day work at LinkedIn anything that you might that you think might transfer to them to help them through that interview process I think the, the most important thing is to really take advantage of the LinkedIn as a platform not just a place to apply for jobs because I think yeah. if I just apply I apply for LinkedIn before like as a data engineer I never get an interview because uh, for different reasons, because maybe too many people apply. So what you want to do is to really build like all star LinkedIn profiles. I I have all the tips about that. Um, and then because then you have the all star LinkedIn profile, you make sure you build at least five hundred connections. Yeah. You know, you build like star retaining LinkedIn profile, and when for your job experience, you want to make all the bullet points using numbers by basically quantify each bullet point for the job experience. And also you want to make sure you have recommendation letters. And um, then later on, you can get like, let's say engaged on LinkedIn, because like when you are doing a lot of engagement, you know what happens, the, the mystery or the secret is like when the recruiters search candidates, because you are active, you will be appear on, on top of their search, like the first mm -hmm. page, first one or two pages. So the recruiters will reach out to you. So you want to be active on LinkedIn, like, like let's say commenting on James' post and my posts. <laughs> yeah. Commenting, you know, not just like yeah. commenting. And the commenting cannot be, oh, this is great. Thanks for sharing. No, it yeah. has to be something from your mind, like one or two sentences. Yeah. No, and I can definitely, that that's great advice, John. I can definitely see that. And I, I've been blown away at some of the, the comments on both my posts and your posts, just the the thorough replies that we're both getting on different ideas that we're talking about. And it's just, 
yeah, it's it's a great way to establish yourself, like you're saying, and even the algorithm, you being found in search results, that part aside, it's a great way to establish genuine rapport for people like Joan and with people like me just to engage in their posts and to be active. And as Joan said, to not only treat it as a job hunting tool. So and also I want to mention that uh, LinkedIn is, is the best like social media platform because like uh, I don't know if you like found this like the same people from different platform are going to behave so differently like people you are going to meet yeah. on LinkedIn because they are already here they don't want to ruin their career so they were like least likely to <laughs> yeah. to mess you up so they're going to yeah. be more like um like normal people to help you like than yeah. people you meet in, in person yeah, less like uh, Twitter, I guess, and some other, <laughs> other networks. Go LinkedIn. Less, yeah, no spam, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so now you're a technical recruiter at LinkedIn. Do you have a typical day in the life of with your job? Yeah, like I said, like before, I was more uh, like talking with candidates, you know, have internal meetings and training. But now we have like those internal projects and meetings going on to improve like our process. And uh, we also have a lot of like, you know, volunteer opportunities. Like tomorrow I'm going to the San Francisco office in person nice. uh, to give career advice for burning, burning game, like high school students. And you know, and and then campus will also have a lot of events uh going on like next next um week, Friday is the Chinese New Year. So we have have a lot of things going on because you know, work is not only your job is not only about work, right? There's still yeah. a lot of things going on. We also have a lot of charity yeah. um opportunities you can volunteer and so when you volunteer, you can get paid by the company and donate to them later on. Yeah. So yeah, and and you know, uh, the, the campus is is really great. Uh, <laughs> it's like a college life. You know, people from yeah. other teams are like your classmates because there's no direct uh, competition between you guys. And the food we have here, our cafeteria That's is based in the Silicon Valley because we hire like some Michelin level chef. Yeah. For us, like there's no. I mean, I I thought I'm good at cooking, but when when I eat. The campus food, I just feel like the food I made is like pig for pigs, you know? <laughs> yeah, I work remote, but I did have the opportunity to go over yeah. to both the Sunnyvale campus and the San Francisco headquarters at the end of August, I think it was. And to your point, I was blown away. It was like something out of the movies. And uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and LinkedIn, they don't, they, they are not very like pushy that kind of company. They uh, require you to work outside, let's say hybrid, like straight in the week. No, there's nothing like that. Even yeah. though you are located here, you can just come anytime you want. And yeah. uh, and if there's like events, maybe once a few months, then they want you to come, then that's very reasonable. Because even yeah. though you live like on the East Coast, another country, they still want you to come like once a while, right? Yeah. 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 And the work-life balance is phenomenal. I, I don't have yeah. a lot of other experience at other tech companies, but I can't imagine one having more work-life balanced. Yeah, they approach. provide everything, everything you need to have gyms, like uh, they even hire free coaches for you and, you know, all, all type of difference. And it's, it's like before, you know, I was dreaming to work for Google. <laughs> yeah. Like a few years ago, because Google has the smartest engineers on the earth, right? So I thought if I go there, then I would have the big name and title. But now I look on to LinkedIn. I don't want Google anymore because yeah. they, they do require you like those on-site, um, yeah. uh, hybrid on-site three days. I mean, I can come, but but it's it's different feeling because you want to come when you, when you feel you want to come, not being forced to go, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, no, and I don't want to bash those companies, but I've heard quite a few stories of current LinkedIn employees that worked at, you know, companies like Google, Meta, and Amazon. And when I asked why, they, they kind of danced around it, but they said, not all companies are like LinkedIn. So I think that kind of says it all right there. Yeah, yeah. Before we go to the hot seat questions, which I'm looking forward to asking you, I have to ask you, because you are a recruiter, are you hiring at the moment? And if so, are you hiring for any jobs or is it kind of, I know we're on a freeze LinkedIn specifically, so perhaps not. Yeah, right now we have one position. Uh, it's already, uh, it's actually on my LinkedIn profile. I leased that job. It's um, data center uh, asset manager in okay. Ashford, Virginia. Uh, that's 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 a fully outside position and that's okay. requires um a lot of experience yeah okay. if you if you read the job description you would know okay well if that applies to you and if the job's still open go check out joan lee's linkedin profile which you should be doing anyway all right joan are you ready for the hot seat <laughs> yeah here we go all right what does your typical morning routine look like yeah i come to campus for earlier like seven i go i go to the cafeteria to eat <laughs> they have a great okay. food then I come to, I sometimes in the morning I have meetings, if no meetings, um, you know, I will check LinkedIn and uh, the LinkedIn recruiter and other like training materials. Yeah. Okay. If you woke up tomorrow with unlimited money, what do you think you would do every day with your time? Uh, I probably wouldn't do much uh, like very different, but I would uh, do something more meaningful, like uh, and I would say not meaningful, like something interesting. I want to like help those teenager girls or like uh, girls like in the primary school to just let them feel like they have the power, the women power. Yeah. Girls power, like they already have everything they need and they don't need to, they don't need to change them because of like the social standards. Because yeah. when, when you're being authentic to yourself, all the magic change um, start happening. Like when I was in New York, I was very frustrated because people around me always telling me like there's something wrong with me, you know, like you're not pretty enough, you're not rich or whatever. I, I just feel like that place is not right for me. So when you are like feeling right, frustrated, and maybe you just need to move, like yeah. move to a company, move to a different position. Like I've yeah. been moved like in many different positions and in country and states, right? So yeah. that's how I feel like every time I move, I feel better, something getting better. And yeah. if I feel like it's time to get out, then I'm going to move to another place. Yeah, no, I like it. The world's a big place. Move to the, the yeah. place that resonates with you most. And if you're not in a good place, find a new one. I like yeah. that. What books or podcasts have had the biggest impact on you? Um, like, I think I read, like, I like those Chinese philosophy books, like Sun Tzu. <laughs> I really like those, those things. Maybe you cannot, like, directly apply to... um to your like daily life but i think like just being in that culture and you just feel like you can people are so generous to them to other people and being yourself i think helped me the most i just living in that community just helped me help me the most like like here in america like you are like basically you are guilty until you prove you're innocent right <laughs> like back in the like in my community like when i grew up like you're innocent until you prove you're guilty like this also create a challenge for me when i grow up like i trust people too much then i can't uh, get burned out by people um but you know but i still choose to live in this way and i i know like if i found out the people like that i'll just stay away but i'll choose yeah. to live in this way and i know the good people will be around me yeah no and so i'm curious your feelings here that that you feel like it's almost like you start off guilty until proven innocent is that like trying to prove yourself for 
for jobs and maybe in society in general? Is that how you kind of felt? I just feel like people here are generally cold. Like, oh, okay. um, I mean, they they don't feel that way because they always leave, leave here. But like in Asia, culture is much more warm and much more mm -hmm. generous. Like, uh, I'm not saying people here are not generous. It's just com comparatively, you yeah. know, just relatively speaking. And and I, I can give you a, like an example. Like, let's sure. say let's say we have the first class together, whatever class uh, in school, then, you know, in China, we would have a group of people going dinner or going party together already. Like here, like after one semester, I still don't know my classmates' name. Mm. <laughs> it's, it's very hard to, to believe that way. It's, yeah. there's no perfect culture. It's always good things and bad things. But yeah. like when you move from one place to another place, like you don't have to feel like attached. Yeah, you have to live here to feel the good things and people around you, you can bring this sense with you and and share and spread for for other people because it's already with you. It's already become part of your characteristic. Yeah. Well, I mean, you've got that perspective. And I'm trying to think back to the year that I lived in Sweden, I know that gave me a different perspective. And coming back here, I, I felt like the Swedish culture, or at least the, the culture that I was exposed to, was to your point it was warmer it was more about family and friends and getting together and having a good time as opposed to getting caught up in the rat race and just you know trying to make money yeah and be yeah, yeah the, the rat race doesn't make sense because when you are in that kind of fast pace you don't have any inspiration like um yeah. like like maybe maybe some people do but for me like i'm just really a normal person i really need that peaceful mind a lot of physical and mental space to get inspired and and when you relax you know the solution will come up yeah can you tell me about the top one or two most influential people in your life and maybe how they impacted you oh uh, it's not any people who are famous like uh like it's, it's the friends around me like uh, who are always supportive like uh you know, I, I know I'm not that smart. Uh, not, I'm not stupid either. So and I, I do. Stupid I think you're things. smart for the record. <laughs> yeah, I do stupid things sometimes, but they are always they are they are supportive. Yeah. But like I think my 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 parents are the most influential people to me because they are always supportive and they are not the traditional type of Chinese Asian parents. They have they they say you have to get married and you have to have kids. So they respect my choice. Whatever I do, they support me. I think mm -hmm. that's more important than making 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 a lot of money because then yeah. I don't have that mental pressure. Yeah, no, that's all you can ask for. That's amazing. It's so good that you have that that family and the friends nearby to, to give yeah. you that. That's great. If you could send a message to your former self to help you during your transition into tech, what do you think that would be? Study hard in school. The school time is the best to study because you don't have like financial pressure and you have a lot yeah. of time and space. Like I would say if I started hard in school, I could make five times more money than what I'm making now. I'm I'm not kidding. That's great advice. I'm trying to think if I sent that to my former self when I was in college playing games and not studying. I know I wouldn't I wouldn't listen to, to future James, but I, I still think it's a valuable thing to try to impress upon the, the former versions. Yeah, at least just save like five years in the first uh, early career because you already have exceptional skills when you graduate and yeah. your base pay is going to be higher than normal people. And is there anything else that you wanted to talk about or anything else that you think somebody that might be considering a career in tech might want to hear? Yeah, I think like generally just like um, build your LinkedIn profile and uh, engage with me uh, and uh, James like uh, on LinkedIn. Like, you know, don't don't forget to comment. <laughs> yeah. Share your thoughts. Share your thoughts. That's 
and then you will be um on top of the linkedin search yeah yeah and no that's yeah people that's will reach advice. out to you yeah great advice all right where can people go to find out more about you or support you in your work oh they can just go to my go to the linkedin and yeah commenting all right, everybody go check out Joan's LinkedIn profile. I will have a link in the show notes. And Joan Lee, I want to thank you so much for coming on to the show and telling your story about breaking into tech. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you, James. Thanks for listening. If you got value from today's show, please consider leaving a five-star rating and a review on Apple or Spotify. It's a free way you can support the show and help other people just like you find the story and others like it. If you enjoyed this conversation, be sure to follow the show on whatever podcast application you use. And most importantly, if you know someone that might be interested in breaking into tech, tell them about the show.